Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast. This is the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Batchley. And Aaron, I know that we think our show is number one, but we're going to be doing something a little different today. We're going to be taking a look at all of the songs that made number one this week in rock and roll history. Tony, I'm a chart guy, so you know that makes me happy. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Of course, we couldn't do all of the number ones, but we picked some of the more notable ones. So folks, join us on the road trip here. Buckle up, hold on to your hats, and we'll be right back. So, Tony, here we are in New York City, Manhattan, at the offices of Billboard magazine, the official chart of the world. No, well, certainly of North America. And let's be clear. These charts were compiled by record sales and radio airplay, not streaming like today. So people had to go out and actually put money on a counter, pick up the record and take it home. So charts to me are fascinating. And here we are in 1964 for one of your favorite songs, I think, right? Yeah, well, this is a song way back on September fifth, September the fifth, nineteen sixty four. This is a song that still resonates with people. I think you hear it all the time. The Animals uh, were on for three weeks at number one on the U.S. Singles Chart with "House of the Rising Sun," and great song. I mean, do you like the song? It's classic. I mean, it's it's a Bob Dylan's version is brilliant, but the Animals really made it their own and. This is part of the British invasion, right? Because everything, number like all the hits in 64 started with the Beatles and the animals were from England too. So Now, there's another interesting little fact about this is that, and I think we should get the bell on standby because this is a great little fact, but uh, the record company lied on the packaging of this uh, record just to deliberately mislead DJs into playing the song. And why don't you explain what I'm talking about here? Well, the record company listed the song as three minutes, when actually it's a little over four. But they were worried that a radio station wouldn't play a four-minute song. Keep in mind, at this time, most records are under three minutes, right? So they fibbed, (laughs) a little white lie, to get the radio stations to play. And I'm glad they did, because it's a monster of a song, right? And it's a song that still gets airplay, doesn't it? I I just heard it the other day on Shea 106 here in Ottawa, so... Uh, a still very relevant song. Well, it's a classic. It's a classic. But there's something really odd about this particular number one, Tony. And yeah. I don't. And I know you didn't do this on purpose. But it it kicked out from number one. The number one just before it was a song called "Where Did Our Love Go" by the oh, Supremes. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that song with Soft Cell in a few minutes, because they did it with "Tainted Love," and then. The number one that replaces House of the Rising Sun, first of all, is Pretty Woman. But then, guess what knocks Pretty Woman out of number one? Dancing oh. in the Streets. Oh, Martha and the Vandellas. And we talk about that a little later on, too. Well, you see that's what I right. mean? Like, it's just, it's so, that's kind of bizarre. I, I, I find it really odd. Well, it's an interesting period in music history because you've got, it's a slugfest going on, right? Between the British <laughs> invasion and, and uh, Motown. And Oh, well, yeah. It's like a Rocky movie, you know, back and forth, one round for Motown and one round for for the Brits. 
But who's who's? Oh, okay, Motown's Rocky. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I would say they'd have to be Rocky. <laughs> so but it's it's a, it's a it's great charts, yeah. Now let's let's fast forward to 1981, September the fifth, and Soft Cell went to number one with a song that was originally a Motown song. It was uh, sung by Gloria Jones back in '64, uh, but Soft Cell had a monster hit on the UK singles chart with their version of Tainted Love. Do you remember that? It was always Huge. on the radio. Massive hit. And pr- pretty interesting story on this song, too. Yeah, it's a really interesting story on, on many levels. But do you remember the 12-inch single of Tainted Love where they go into Where Did Our Love Go? No. Did they do a segue? Yeah, there's a 12-inch. It's one of the largest selling 12-inch singles of all time. And it's Tainted Love, and it goes right into Where Did Our Love Go? as you know it's kind of fun but tony the original singer and i actually put this on the playlist uh, it was a woman named gloria jones now jones would go on to become mark boland's girlfriend right mm-hmm. yeah in the 70s but it didn't end so well did it no it didn't end well at all uh, mark boland was killed in a car crash on the 16th of September, 1977. Oh my gosh, I'm just realizing that's one month after Elvis passed away. I know. But, uh, but Jones was in the car. She nearly died in the accident as well. So pretty tragic. That's awful. I thought she was driving. Yeah, I think she was too, by the looks of it. So imagine how horrible that would be. Like your, your life would never be the same. And Mark Bolin was kind of the... I mean, he was huge, T-Rex to see in the 70s in England. I mean, Mark Boland was massive. He only had one hit over here, Bang a Gong. But in the UK, he had countless, countless hits, plus a TV show and, you know, massive, massive artist. Yeah, and we talk about this period in the 80s, right? It's almost like a second British invasion. But um, it was that new wave sound that was coming. You remember Billy Joel talked about it in that uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's still rock and roll to me, but Tainted Love was just, just a massive hit in North America. And it spent, what did it spend, 43 weeks on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100? So that's pretty crazy. It set a record. And it, it, it it's one of the longest climbers of all time. It took 19 weeks, almost four, five months to get into the top 40. And then it only got to number eight. But man, that song just climbed and climbed and climbed. <laughs> And now, what do you think of the uh, of their version compared to Gloria Jones? I've heard both, um, and they're very, very different, actually. So different. I mean, I, it's like two different songs. Yeah, exactly. Now, are you able to get both on the playlist? Or are you? Oh yeah. Oh, they're both there, I, and I put them side by side, oh. so you can just kind of hear one after the other to kind of make your own judgment. But it's it's. I like her version very much. Obviously, it's the original, but. Tainted Love is such a great... I never get sick of it. It's like House of the Rising Sun. I mean, I hear it all the time, and I never turn off the radio. No, exactly. Well, that's what... You know, when I was planning the show, I was like, wow, so many great songs peaked on the charts this week. But let's do one more before we take a break. And Well, before we go into the next one, I just want to say that this... The Soft Cell had just completed their final ever North American tour last night. Oh, where... What city yep. were they in? New York. <laughs> Oh, right where we are. <laughs> right where we are. Well, that that's pretty neat. So that's a happy coincidence. At the Beacon Theater, yeah, they oh. um, they're 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 not going to be touring anymore. Soft Cell, which is I guess uh, it's time, but sad too, you know. Now we're going to do one more uh, of these number ones before we cut to break, 
And this one, we're going to go to the album charts in the US. And what a fantastic album this was. And this really showed the world what a great songwriter that Stevie Nicks was. So Stevie Nicks went to number one on the US album chart on September 5th, 1981 with Belladonna and some incredible tracks, right? Stop Dragging My Heart Around, the Tom Petty duet that she did, Leather and Lace with Don Henley, and then actually my favorite Stevie Nicks song, Edge of 17, uh, and After the Glitter Fades. Like Those are all classic, timeless songs. And, and just so you know, Leather and Lace, she wrote that after she heard the album called Leather and Lace by Waylon Jennings and Jesse Coulter, Waylon's wife. And she was so impressed by the album as a, as a, a love song to a wife that she named the song Leather and Lace. Well, let's ring the bell again. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that we're going to be having a lot of bell ringing moments today, don't you? Yeah, that's a great album. It's, and it was her first solo album, too, which was pretty um, astounding when you look at that as a solo album, you know? Yeah, and, and she really established herself as a songwriter, didn't she? She's such a great writer. Um, do you have a favorite Stevie Nicks song? It doesn't have to be on this album, but do you have a... Okay, so my favorite Stevie Nicks song isn't on this album, but my favorite song by her is Stand Back. Okay. I like that. I like Edge of 17, too, to be honest. That's that's up there in my top two. Like Edge of 17 and Stand Back, depending on the day. How about you? Yeah, I like uh, Stand Back, but you know what song gets me every time? Like every time is uh, Landslide. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, what do you think of the Dixie Chicks version of that? I really like their version, actually. What about you? Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a great song. How can you do a bad version of it? You know, um, you know the Dixie Chicks and and um, I, you know what I'm looking it up right now. And the other one is Glee. And I don't think you like the Glee. No, version. no. Let's just pretend that you never even looked that up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, but you know who she kept out of number one with her album was <laughs> Journey and Escape. Oh, and that was a massive album. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and you talk about Glee tie-ins, right? Uh, a lot of Journey songs on that show as well. Now, with Stevie Nicks, though, do you know what comes to mind too? Edge of Seventeen, the song. There's a movie that just pops into my head every time that I hear Edge of Seventeen. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? No. What? Which movie? School of Rock. Oh, oh! How could I forget that? Do you remember that? That Classic. was. That was Classic. the uh, track that he puts on to convince the principal to let him go on a on a field trip. <laughs> that was Joan Cusack, right? That was yeah, a brilliant yeah. scene. Yeah, 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 brilliant scene. I love that scene. Yeah, <laughs> classic. You know what? We're going to talk about Jack Black when we talk about another song later on because there's a key line of his uh, in a film about the song we're going to talk about later. But, oh, I love School of Rock. It's a great movie, isn't it? It is. And you know what? On that note, why don't we take a break and we'll be right back with some more Chart Talk. Now, Aaron, this next song that went to number one, I had to include it because of the distinction that it has in the Guinness Book of World Records. It actually is the longest number one title of a song ever to reach the top of the charts. And that's without parentheses. And why don't you read off the name of this song? And this is by the Manic Street Preachers. So what, what's the name of the song? If you tolerate this your children will be next. 
yeah, it's a crazy title because that title wouldn't make me want to go out and buy a record, would it, for you? <laughs> Not without hearing it first, no. Um, but the song title comes from a very interesting place, right? I mean, it, first of all, they're a really interesting band, and they're and they're Welsh of all things. I mean, you know, Tom Jones would never record a song if we tolerate this. Your children will be next. Yeah. Um, but they had massive hits in the UK. Um, that was their 19th, Tony, 19th hit in the UK. Oh, it's a great song, too. We were just talking about that on the break. It's, it you is, know, it is it, a But it was inspired by the Spanish Civil War. And I guess there was, um, you know, the idealism of fighting for the left-wing international brigades, um, Spanish Republic against the Francisco Franco's military. And there was a poster, a propaganda poster. And it said, if you tolerate this, your children will be next. So uh, it it's it comes from a weird place, but man, did they they kick it. They the great song. It is a great song. And I was, you know, I had uh, hadn't heard this song in forever. So when we were doing the research for the show and I went back to listen to it, I was thinking, okay, how are they gonna fit all those words in musically, you know? <laughs> And they do, and they yeah. do. I mean, uh, they they do, and they they pull it off. And thankfully, and I stress this. Thankfully, they knocked the group All Saints out of number one with their classic and deep booty call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody will be remembering All Saints booty call. No. I sure as hell didn't. But you know, hey, you do your research, you find these uh, obscure little facts. But uh, but uh, Manic Street Preachers, and they're still going strong. They're called the Manics now. I think people just call them the Manics. But great band, great yeah. band. Now the next one that we should go to. You know, sometimes bands spend their entire careers and don't get to the top of the charts or get to the top of the charts very late in their career, and that is what happened for Aerosmith. They you would have thought, right, that Aerosmith would have had number ones prior to 1998, but they didn't. They scored their first U.S. number one single with a, a song written by Diane Warren, who wrote a lot of pop tunes back then, and it's called I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Now, I'm going to give a full disclosure here. This is probably my least favorite Aerosmith song. I'm not sure how you feel, but. Uh, no, I'm with you. I, and I, and with all respect to Diane Warren, who's still writing great songs. She, in fact, wrote a song for Ringo on his last EP. Hats off to Diane, but I don't like the song. It, it to me, Aerosmith is, you know, uh, Toys in the Attic or um, Walk This Way yeah, or Red any Doll, number of stuff other like songs. that. Yeah, dude yeah. looks like a lady. <laughs> exactly. That's what I think when I think of Aerosmith too. And and yet, I mean, this was off the film Armageddon. And it was a big hit, and it was their first number one, but it happens. Now, prior to that, I think their highest charting was number three, right? Back in 1993, and yeah. a song called Angel, which is a good song. And their album, though, Get a Grip, was their first number one album, wasn't it? Yeah, and again, you you look at it, this is 98, and they've been going since late 70s, 77, 78. 20 years it took to get to the number one spot, and it was with a bit of a schlock, you know, but... Um, Hey, who can forget their scene in um, um, Polar Express? <laughs> Singing on top of the world. <laughs> oh, exactly. Now, even though uh, there was one little aside I wanted to take here, I didn't highlight it on, on our planning sheet, but because it's not a rock and roll song, but I think we should mention that on, what are we on, September the 5th here, 
Shania Twain. Uh, she spent 58 weeks on the UK album chart and she finally went to number one with Come On Over. But do you remember how big of a crossover hit that that was? That was in the heyday of new country music and stuff. So when I was looking, I, I, pro, I put one of the songs in the playlist and I saw the album cover for the first time in a long time. It looks like a Canadian flag. The way she's dressed, like the red and the white background, it's almost a bit like a Canadian maple leaf. Yeah, and, and this, it was the best-selling country music album uh, by a female and the second best-selling studio album by a female act. Now, was Alanis the first, do you think? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know what? I've, have you seen the new documentary on her? On uh, I think it's on Netflix. I have not yet, no. No, I haven't yet either, but I'm, I'm going to watch it. I I don't have anything against Shania. Not my cup of tea. Um, Andrea loves her music. I'm not a big, big fan. Um, man, I, what's that song? Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Yeah. Boy, I got tired of that one after a while. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, <laughs> I, I have a little listening exercise for our uh, for our podcast listeners, or and for you too, Aaron, because, you know, she was produced by her then-husband, Mutt Lang. Um, so... Listen to Def Leppard Pyromania, which was also produced by him, and then listen to this album and listen to the background vocals, and you will hear a lot of the same sounds. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that or not. No. Okay. Just put on a couple of songs from Pyromania and focus in on the back. Like, I guess, you know, being a musician, I like it. I noticed that right away. It's like, oh my God. That sounds like a lot of the backing vocals from... Uh, but it's the same producer. Uh, Matt Lang produced yep. both albums, yep. right? Her husband at the time, and yep. he was producing Def Leppard. So yep. it makes sense, yep. you know? Yeah. So anyway, just I think we should ring the bell for that as well because... I think we should. I think we should. And you know what? I'm going to put a Def Leppard song from that album on the playlist so people can compare, okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And I, I pointed it out to Cynthia, and she's like, oh my God, you're right. Like, they sound so similar. And they're very different acts. Now let's jump ahead to September the 7th. And we're going to talk about a collaboration here in 1985. Great song. I absolutely love this song. And I like their version. I mean, there are people who pan this version, but to me, I like it. David Bowie and Mick Jagger went to number one on the UK singles chart with their version of a classic song by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas from 1964 called Dancing in the Street. And this is just a great song, period. I think, I don't know how you could do a bad version of this song. It's just so well written, but I like what Bowie and Jagger do. What do you think? Well, you know what? It was pretty revolutionary at the time because no one ever imagined Bowie and Jagger doing a duet. So it was done for Live Aid. And initially they were going to perform live in two different continents, but you know that because of time lags and the technology at the time, that wasn't going to work. Do you remember Phil Collins playing in two different continents on the same day? That was well, cool. Yeah, like he played over in the UK and then and jetted over and to, the, to Philadelphia, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah, he played in two. So, I mean, look, it was a huge selling record. Now, I'm going to name drop for a second here, Tony, if that's okay. Okay. My wife's cousin, Margo, she's married to a guy named Stan Harrison who plays sax on that song. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's sax on it. Very, so there you go. Very cool. I, I do think the video was a tad embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I, it lent further credence to the 
fact that most white men can't dance, didn't it? Yeah, that was, it was, who needs a freeze frame? <laughs> it was just, it was the, too many freeze frames, too many, although the, the scene of Jagger drinking while Bowie's singing was kind of funny, but. Um, <laughs> I, I like the scene where Bowie's doing the jazz hands behind Jagger. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that's, could, yeah, could this that's, get uh, any more uncomfortable? You know? <laughs> I know. It's one of those things where you kind of go, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, but. All the money went to, um, you know, to Live Aid. It raised tons of money. It was a massive hit everywhere around the world. And as you say, it's one of those songs that are summertime songs. You do, you have to hear it in the summertime, right? Well, absolutely. And it's been covered by everybody, right? The Kinks, uh, The Grateful Dead of all people, Little Richard, Myra and the Struts. Uh, lots of people have covered this song. Now, it knocked out another great song right it knocked out another cover a cover version yeah yeah ub40 and chrissy hind were doing i got you babe the, the i love that do you love that version i love that i do i like it better than sunny and Cher's version I to do too. <laughs> full disclosure <laughs> me too me too i'm with you i think it's much better and and unfortunately bowie and jagger kept bonnie tyler holding out for a hero from number one that's but, a, um, another great song but yeah but mid-jure was the only one who could knock them out with his uh, solo single, If I Was, which is a great song too. In 2011, it was voted the eighth best collaboration of all time in Rolling Stone Reader's Poll. So yeah, people love it. I don't. I know people kind of slag it off, but oh my gosh, it was just fun, right? No, exactly. Now, you know what? We're going to, I want to do one more before we take another break, uh, because again, this is a case of someone hitting number one for the first time, which I, I'm staggered by this, to be honest. Um, I don't know what to say. I, I was tongue-tied there for a second because in 1984, on September the 8th, Stevie Wonder had his first UK number one hit with I Just Called to Say I Love You. And I I can't believe that that was his first number one in the UK with all of the material that he'd put out before then. Have you ever seen the movie High Fidelity? Yes. With, uh, yes. Jack do you remember the scene where the guy comes into the record store and Jack box behind the counter and he goes, I'm looking for a single for my daughter. And Jack goes, what single? And he says, I just called to say, I love you. And Jack Black goes, is she in a coma? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, just like Aerosmith, this is probably my least favorite oh, Stevie Wonder song. I, I hate this song. I used to, I was DJing weddings in 84. And if I had to play it one more time, I was like, please don't, please. And it was, you know, I, I, I can't stand it. I can't listen to it now. It's, I can't either. It. I turn it off. I and it's like, you know, of all the songs, but isn't it amazing that stuff like Sir Duke or any of that other stuff didn't make it to number one in the UK? I'm so with you. Like, what about Signed, Sealed, Delivered or um, Heaven Help Us All or, you know, Buggy on reggae, what, superstition. Oh my gosh, superstition. Yeah. You are the sunshine of my life. And this is not a great song, but it's like Chris, Christopher's woman in red, lady in red, sorry. Um, unbelievable. And, and you know, Master Blaster made it to number two. Happy Birthday made it to number two. And Sir Duke made it to number two. Tony, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. And now I've got a little interesting tidbit for folks here. This kept a band that you just saw, didn't you? You was it? I did. They were fantastic, by the way. Yeah. So this kept Culture Club from number one, and he was knocked out by one of the very few Wham songs that I actually enjoy, a song called Freedom. So I love that song. Yeah, great. me too. Freedom's a great, great song. song. It is. 
A lot of the other stuff was pretty bubblegum, but uh, Freedom was a terrific song. Well, it was the bridge to George Michael, I think, when he went solo. But um, what's interesting is that uh, my own little bell went off. What's interesting is that Culture Club did a song called Church of the Poison Mind in concert, and they segued into I'm Your Man. And they turned I'm Your Man into this R&B number. It was so good, Tony. It was oh, fantastic. I, uh, I wish I could have seen that. And boy, yeah. George, is he in good form? He's in great form. His voice is fantastic. He was funny as all get out. Um, he looked great. He And it was the original members. So it was, uh, it was the band up there. And it was and the crowd went nuts. I mean, they, they did interesting covers, Tony. Their encore was Sympathy for the Devil. Oh, m- really? Yeah, and a good version of it. And then they went into, believe it or not, how the sympathy for the devil into Karma Chameleon. Oh, there's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was a great night. Great night. But you know what? I love when bands do stuff like that. And that's that's one of the things about live music, isn't it? Right? You'll you'll get those weird little segues that are just brilliant. Well, you didn't expect them to do Sympathy for the Devil. But they did all their hits and they did some album cuts too and, and um and the opening act was the beat. Oh. The English beat. So it was good. Oh, that sounds like good a great night. show. Now, tell you what, we're going to do, we're going to do two more songs. And we always have that from Memphis to Merseyside moment. So we've got two Beatles songs to talk about uh, before we wrap up today's episode. And I'm going to do a disclosure here to our listeners, Aaron. We are having so many tech issues this afternoon it is unbelievable (laughs) normally you know normally aaron and i we are so comfortable with each other that i've got very little editing to do afterwards and i think (laughs) you've been i think you've been kicked off the connection 10 times today so far (laughs) oh yeah it's so funny and yeah i feel bad for you because you got to put this all together like like frankenstein's monster but you know you'll do it because you're you're my george martin you know (laughs) well i wouldn't say george martin but thank you (laughs) i well i would i would that's where that's how i see you man so yeah so let's take a break and i'll cue up the uh, little six degrees of beatlemania music here and we're going to talk about uh, our from memphis to merseyside segment and we've got a couple of Beatles stories coming up so stay tuned so tony you know what we're going to go back to the early days of the beatles in, in england in 1963 when they hadn't broke they hadn't made it in america yet but they were at number one with a single called she loves you um, and the album, Please Please Me, which She Loves You is not on, was number one in the UK album chart. Now, um, She Loves You would go on to become the Beatles' best-selling single in the United Kingdom, the biggest-selling single in Britain in 63, and until Mull of Kintyre was the largest-selling single in England's history. So Paul McCartney knocked himself out of number one. <laughs> oh, there you go. There, there I'm going to ring the bell again, Aaron, because... That's another very cool factoid. We're full of them today. I know. It's, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. So our listeners are going to be getting educated today, going back to school. And you know what? In honor of school starting tomorrow, I think that's very appropriate. And I, I'm looking you're forward not. to it. No, you're I'm not, not going, going back, back to school. school. No, nope. you're not. You are not. <laughs> school you're, you're... is permanently out for summer for me. Yep. So, you know, Tony, school is out for you, but I think there's going to be a lot of students who are going to be sad you're not there to, uh, tomorrow. Um, because we're recording this on Labor Day, folks. Um, but you're on a permanent summer vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of an odd feeling. And I live right down the street from a high school here in Perth, Ontario. And uh, 
you know, the last couple of days, seeing all the teachers' cars go in, that, it uh, certainly felt a little odd not having to do that myself, you know. Do you, do you miss it? Like, is it, is it, are you there or not yet? Uh, you know what? I mean, I loved, I had a great final year of my career, but in terms of, do I miss it? No, because, uh, I'm just moving on to other things. And I, I was, I was always the type of person that I had to prepare myself to transition into something new because I was so heavily invested in it being a band director. And so for the last couple of years, I, I really worked to prepare myself to make, uh, that transition. So, you know, right now, uh, honest answer, do I miss it? No, but because I'm excited about all the other things that I'm moving on to. Does that make sense? No, totally. But I can understand how it feels weird not to do something because I'm going to be in the same boat as you in four weeks. And, and I'm thinking, like the other day I was at work and someone sent me an invitation to a meeting in October. I was like, decline, decline, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it, it it feels odd. It's, it's it's a bit more complicated than I anticipated. No, for sure. And uh, but it's pretty great at the same time. You know, every day is Saturday, as they say. So it's it's pretty nice. Now the Beatles. Let's take a look at September the tenth, nineteen sixty six. And if we hop across the pond to the U.S. and look at the change that happened in three years, right? September the 10th, they start a six-week run at number one on the U.S. album chart with Revolver. And that was their ninth in three years, their ninth U.S. chart topper. How incredible. And how can you compare Revolver to Please Please Me? I mean, you're talking about a lovely, Please Please Me is a great album, but we're talking about Please Please Me and Love Me Do compared to Eleanor Rigby and Taxman. Yeah. Is it the same band? Well, exactly. Their their evolution over such a short period of time is is nothing short of astounding. And and it's always my my favorite part of studying the Beatles because of what they accomplished in such a short amount of time. And and really, yes, society steered them, but they steered society as well. And I I think it was a symbiotic relationship. I and I have to say something to just and you're right. I agree with you. Um, but did you hear the two big news stories about the Beatles this past weekend? Uh, no, I, I didn't. What What was on the news? Number one was that Get Back, their documentary, won five Emmy Awards. Okay. Um, I may have seen a headline about that this morning. Yep. Oh, that's yeah. very cool. And the second is that they're releasing a box set of Revolver in October, uh, celebrating the release of, of Revolver with outtakes and, and, and new mixes and all sorts of goodies that we've never heard before. So I'm so excited because I can buy the album and then just stay home and listen all day. <laughs> well, that's exactly. And yeah, not have to go to work. Just keep it on. And that's right. That's what I mean. Stay in your yeah, PJs. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> but Revolver is a landmark album. And you're right. The, the transition in three short years is nothing short of astounding. I mean, I can't think of another band that, that did that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, but sadly, they they kept they knocked Herb Albert out of number one with his um, "What Now My Love" album, but at the same time as their number one with Revolver, number seven on the top ten was "Yesterday and Today" by the Beatles. I mean, they were. I don't know that we can explain how big they were in the '60s, you know, and '70s. Yeah, I, I don't think any anybody from today can't comprehend because, yeah, you've got artists today who sell or who stream a lot of, uh, you know, songs on Spotify or Apple music or whatever. But I mean, the Beatles were everywhere and, and, and affected every part of culture 
in the 60s and not just in Britain. I mean, everywhere. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. So hats off to, you know, and do you remember, did you ever see the Beatles cartoon show? Yes. I mean, they were, they even had a cartoon show on Saturday mornings. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't not know the Beatles, right? No, for And sure. everyone loved them. Like it wasn't so compartmentalized like today where you have a group of kids who love Drake. I mean, I don't particularly like his music, but there was old people, young people, everyone loved the Beatles, right? Yeah, for sure. And you know what, Aaron, this was a really fun episode, wasn't it? Something a little different and it's nice to mix it up a little bit. And I knew, uh, how much you enjoy talking about charts. And like I said, I think it was just serendipitous that as, as I was planning this, all these number one hits came to the fore like that. So I think we should do this again because it was a very happy coincidence. Absolutely. And you know what, Tony, let's do it. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. And well, folks, we made it to the end of the episode. Uh, gremlins or no gremlins, we still arrived on time. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this, my editing will be seamless. But Aaron, what a great trip this was. And let's thank Rick Denis for the music. As always, it adds just a nice touch to the show. And thank our listeners who give us their earbuds or their headphones every week. We really appreciate it. And you know what? When the man is getting you down, especially like he seems to be doing a lot lately, what do you do? Yeah, you got to keep on rocking because that's basically it, right? Right. And we will see you next week for episode 68. And it looks like we'll be doing that in person. I'm very excited because the gremlins can't invade an in-person recording session. Now, why would you tempt them? <laughs> <laughs> see you next time, folks. <laughs>